I'm glad to be with you this morning. We're going to continue with our series on the kingdom, and we've been talking about this for, this is week three, our third week. We had one week that was interrupted by some kind of storm, and in the name of Jesus, this next storm is going to die in its place, right? Because ain't nobody got time for that, right? It's like when you got enough, you'll start praying different. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Be like, Jesus, I can't take it no more. <laughs> anyway, that's how I pray. Um, but this morning, we're going to continue. And today, I want to I get on to a topic. Uh, it might make you a little bit uncomfortable. It's, it's challenging me this morning. Today, I'm going to get up in the business of politics. Oh, but we're supposed to have separation of church and state. You can't talk about politics up in the church. Well, we are today. And I hope you calm down, and I hope that this encourages you today. That's my goal, is to encourage you today, because we stand currently in a position as a nation that is critical. Amen? It's critical. The laws that that will be created in the next several years are critical. The policies that will be put in place are critical. They're not eternal, but they're critical. And it's important for us as believers to pay attention, to be involved, to not separate ourselves from that. So there's no other subject as divisive today as politics. Would you agree? No other subject right now. How many of you watched the debate this week? I was amped up like a UFC fight. I was like, come on, round two, baby. It wasn't quite a UFC fight. This is the first year in my entire life that I've watched all the debates. This is the first year that I've paid attention to things politically more than ever before. I used to have this mindset about politics that, that I didn't need to spend too much time on it. I didn't need to give it too much of my attention. And that's true, but I was kind of bent towards the other end. Where I would almost like not even want to see it. I didn't even want to hear about it. I had an opinion, but I didn't even want to hear about it. But this year's taught me that I have an authority to be involved. I have a voice in this nation. Amen. Amen. We all have a voice in this nation, and I need to use my voice, and I need to use my influence to the best of my ability and as God would see fit. So I want to say something to you this morning. I don't know how you walked in. I don't know what your worldview is. I don't know if your worldview is shaped by politics alone or is your worldview shaped by God's kingdom? Because the two are drastically different. One puts all of its faith and hope in man. The other puts all of its faith and hope in God. Drastically different. They're worlds apart. But how did you walk in today? What worldview did you carry with you today? I hope to send you out of here today with a better worldview. Amen? So my goal is not to change your vote today. My goal is to help guide you on how to act between now and the election, but especially afterwards. Because I remember a few years back, a few elections ago, I voted for a president, and he didn't get elected. And the guy who won was not in favor of small business. I was a small business owner. And he wasn't in favor of small business. And I can remember today how I felt the day after the election. I was discouraged. I was, my outlook was, was cloudy. 
I was, I was, I was down and out. I found myself wanting to complain. I found myself wanting to criticize. I found myself wanting to be negative. I was starting to lose hope. But I'm a guy who reads my Bible. And I continued to read my Bible. And as I read my Bible and I prayed to the Lord of the Bible, he began to change my heart and my outlook on my current situation. Even though the president that was elected was not in favor of small business, I was still a kingdom man, not a worldly man. I was called to the kingdom of God, not to the kingdom of America. Right? And so God had to whip me into shape, had to get my mind right, had to put my focus back in the right place. And, and my disposition and my attitude had to change. Because if you're a kingdom-minded person and you, and you see the world through God's kingdom, you have to change. You cannot remain the same. Those four years, those eight years that he was president, God still blessed our business even in the midst of his policies and, and, and his, his laws and all the things that he did or did not do. You see, my outcome is not dependent on who the president is. I don't live in this kingdom. I live in a greater kingdom. In fact, I'm an ambassador of that kingdom, and I represent that kingdom here in this kingdom. Amen? And so I've struggled. I've had a hard time. I've had to guard my heart this year more than ever before. Can I just be brutally honest with you? I didn't like COVID. We've shut the church down and reopened it more times than I ever wanted to do. I've been, I've been upset. I've been discouraged. I've, I've been depressed. I've, I've, had, I've had all the gamuts of emotions this year. Anybody know my pain? So I want to show you something this morning about two guys that follow Jesus and how important it is to understand their story. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it says this, Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and imparted to them authority to cast out demons and to heal every sickness and every disease. Now, these are the names of the first apostles. First, Simon, who was nicknamed Peter, Andrew, his brother, and then Jacob and John, sons of Zebedee. Next were Philip and Bartholomew, then Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, Jacob, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, the, um, Simon, the former member of the Zealot party, and Judas, the locksmith, who eventually betrayed Jesus. So there's two people in this list of guys who are following Jesus that, watch this, that Jesus called them to follow him. These guys were handpicked by Jesus. Two guys I want to pay attention to this morning. The first guy is Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors in those days were much different than tax collectors in these days. Whatever they collected over what was required, they got to keep. Can you say room for greed? So we had Matthew, the tax collector, following Jesus, and then we had this guy named Simon the Zealot. Matthew was pro-government, like more government, baby, more government. Let's build the government up bigger. I can pad my pockets. Matthew was pro-government. Simon was anti-government. Both guys handpicked by Jesus to follow him. Both guys having to follow Jesus with different worldviews, with different political views. Come on, they were on opposite sides of the fence. And yet they followed Jesus.
yet they followed Jesus. No matter what their stance was, they continued to follow Jesus. And I believe in the process of following Jesus, he changed their stance. Jesus got in trouble for going to Matthew's house to eat with tax collectors and sinners. Well, he punched them in the nose when he found out what they were saying, right? Isn't it the sick that need a hospital? <laughs> right? Now imagine these guys following Jesus together. Here's a question for you to answer. Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? The thing that breaks my heart as a pastor is I've seen members of this church get pulled away into a political world that they don't even belong in. I've seen people, even in our own church, preaching politics more than they're preaching Jesus. That has eternal consequences. Come on, I've seen more people passionate about politics than about folks getting saved. And I dare say today that there's going to be more people rejoicing if a certain man wins than if another man wins. So do you think Jesus was political? Was Jesus political? Politics is a set of decisions and thought processes designed to care for the people of a specific city or country. That's what politics is. Doesn't God have a set of decisions and thought processes designed to care for us? So I got a couple of thoughts I want to share with you this morning. Number one, Jesus acknowledged the government of man. He didn't deny that the government existed. He didn't act like it wasn't there. He didn't come against it necessarily. Jesus acknowledged that the government of man existed. I'll prove it to you in scripture. In Luke chapter 20, verse 22 to 25, it says, now tell us, they're trying to trick him about taxes. They're trying to get Jesus on a, on a technical issue. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <laughs> He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin. Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus acknowledged that Caesar was, was the ruler of that area. He was the ruler of that, 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 that kingdom and that, that moment. And he acknowledged his position of authority over the people. He didn't deny it, Right? He acknowledged it. He said, whatever, whatever belongs to Caesar, give it to Caesar. But whatever belongs to God, give it to God. So what does that mean for us today? You need to go vote. Right? You also need to pay your taxes. <laughs> Some of you are like, you was doing good. Pastor, you're talking about taxes. The day Jesus was born, he was announced the king of the Jews. And King Herod tried to kill him after that. Right? When he was crucified, he was falsely accused and he was tried. And it was a political system that crucified Jesus. We give our vote to man, but we give our hearts to God. Amen? Because too many people have allowed the political party to have their heart. Or a specific political candidate to have their heart. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, he who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party is rendering to Caesar that which belongs to God himself. 
Too many people are giving to the nation of America. They're giving too much of themselves to America and not enough of themselves to God. Oh, sure it's quiet in this church. Our heart, our emotions, our energies, they first belong to God. First. Do you need to speak? Yes, you need to speak. Do you need to vote? Yes, you need to vote. But the whole time, God needs to have your heart. So what does it look like if politics has my heart? <laughs> well, <laughs> after the debate this Tuesday, how did you feel? After all the things that you read on social media, the blogs you listened to or, the, or you read or, or the things that you saw, how did that make you feel? Did you, did you get discouraged? Did you get upset? Did you get red in the face over what this person said or what this side feels? You need to answer that question for yourself because depending on how you felt afterwards is a sign of, of where your heart was. Politics should not wreck us, though sometimes it does, right? So if, if you're here today and politics has been wrecking you, here's hope. You can repent, you can confess, Jesus can forgive you, he can cleanse you, and you can get right back up and start preaching his kingdom and not the world's kingdom. You don't have to stay there, but you need to be aware of where you are. Second thought. Jesus announced his own government, the kingdom of God. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. You see, Jesus came with another kingdom to be established on this planet. He didn't come to pick a side. He didn't come to, to pick a party. He came to take over, right? He came to establish his kingdom because, you see, Jesus has his own kingdom. And from day one, when Adam and Eve was created and the world was created, God's kingdom was to take over the planet, if Jesus was asked if he was a Republican or a Democrat, I think he would reply, I'm a kingdom. I'm a kingdom. I'm neither. Are you a follower of Christ or are you a Republican? You're a follower of Christ or are you a Democrat? Don't raise your hand because the majority of people in here are Republicans. And I, didn't, I didn't assign any bouncers today. But I am a bouncer. <clears throat> a little slower and older, but I'm okay. I want you to see something in Joshua. Joshua found himself leading a nation, leading a group of people, and Joshua found himself trying to argue or, or find out who was on this side and who was on that side. And I want you to see what happened to Joshua because I believe that's the same thing that needs to happen to most of us in this room today. Joshua chapter 5. So Joshua's taken over. Moses is going on. And Joshua's taken over. And it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you or, or for our adversaries? Isn't that the question today? 
Isn't that the question today? Are you Democrat or are you Republican? Are you for us or are you for them? The left side, the right side. Come on, somebody. What side are you on? And depending on what side are you on, that's going to determine how I treat you. Breaks my heart. Yesterday I read a post on Facebook from a guy that used to go to our Jennings campus. I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, there's a lot of people there. You don't know who he is. Guy, guy was going to one of our campuses, and, and he, he said this in a post. He's, breaks my heart. He said, if you vote for the Democratic man and he wins, I will sell drugs to your children. I kid you not. I'll go find it. No, I'm sure. What kind of mindset is that? It's definitely not a kingdom mindset. Amen? That's not kingdom. That's demonic. How can you even say that? How can you let something like politics consume you that much? It blew my mind. I almost started crying. Verse 14 the person that was standing in front of him said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Was he a Republican? No. Was he a Democrat? No. He was, he was a commander of the army of the Lord. <laughs> At this, Joshua fell to his face fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. What happened to Joshua? He ran into kingdom with a side-choosing mindset and he ended up on his face. Where do we need to be as children of God? On our face. On our face because we're responsible. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God before we're ever citizens of America. Joshua had a heart change. Every person in this room, if your heart's still beating, it can still change. How does that feel? Does that feel pretty good so far? Not too bad? Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Listen to what Joshua said. What do you want me to do? Shouldn't that be our question today to God is, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? He was nervous about whose side this guy was on until he realized the kingdom showed up and changed his position. Here's a question for you. Can the kingdom of God show up and change your position? Can he show up and change your heart? Is there room for him to change your heart, to change your mind? Will you allow God to move in your life? Third thought. Jesus calls us ambassadors of his kingdom, which means this, that you don't belong to any other kingdom. Because if you're an ambassador to one kingdom, you can't be an ambassador to another kingdom. Amen? You can only be an ambassador to the kingdom that you're subject to. The kingdom that you belong to. So watch this. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you went from belonging to yourself and this world to belonging to God's kingdom. 
And now you're his ambassador for his kingdom on this planet. Your number one priority in life is to establish God's kingdom on earth. It comes before everything else that we do. Can I say that one more time? It comes before everything else that we do. Establish his kingdom, not my kingdom. And we don't let this world's kingdom or even my own kingdom change what his kingdom wants to establish. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Say new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. It's not complete, but it's begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Not to us, not to politics, to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Remember Matthew was pro-government? Simon was anti-government? They were both in a tricky position. Am I going to allow my worldview, am I going to allow my perspective, am I going to allow my ideas and my opinion to die so that I can establish God's kingdom. You see it? God not only reconciled us to him, but he gave us this message of reconciliation. What is your message? Reconciliation. Simply put, come back to God. What should we be posting? What should we be saying? What should we be preaching? Come back to God. But I don't know what to say. Just say, come back to God for crying out loud. <laughs> come back to God. How many of you love football? Raise your hand. Previous to this year. <laughs> okay. All right. I got a few more hands. I, 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 love, I love football. I, I played football most of my life. Um, it's been a love-hate relationship since I quit football, um, but but I do like the game. I don't like the, when the game becomes political and the, and the game becomes opinionated, but I do like the game. But in football, <clears throat> there's a game and there's two teams who take the field. There's the home team, which would be the New Orleans Saints, and then there's the visiting team, which would be whoever they seem to be playing this week. Okay. You can grab your clicker and you can click it and it'll go off. So for the better part of three hours, there's going to be a, a conflict on this field. There's going to be some strife on this field of play. These two teams are at odds with each other. They both have a goal and their goal is to win at all costs, right? In the midst of these two teams, there's a third team called the team of officials. There's nine of them. There's nine of them, right? So, so they're, they're, they're supposed to be on the field, but they're not supposed to be of the field. You see in it? They're in the midst of the conflict, but they're not allowed to become a part of the conflict. They're, they're called to keep a cool head and a clear vision in the middle of the chaos. 
You see, the officiating crew is committed to another kingdom. That kingdom resides at 345 Park Avenue, New York City, where the NFL offices are, and they are authorized to represent the commissioner, Roger Goodell. Not to represent each team playing, but to represent the kingdom called NFL. They're easy to identify in a crowd because they wear black and white jerseys. They don't wear the jersey of the opposing team. That would be wrong, right? Each of these nine officials has been given a book from the headquarters in New York. This book gives them the governing guidelines by which all decisions are to be made on the field of play. Are you seeing it? They're required to study it, to know it, and to be able to reference it at all times. Their personal opinions must be subject to this book. Their experiences must be subject to this book. This is not a popularity contest. They're aware of that. Sometimes they get booed and sometimes they get cheered. They're not there for the applause of the crowd, but to bring order to the chaos. They're grossly outnumbered. 53 players, coaching staff, personnel, thousands of fans. The players, come on, they have power. I mean, these cats are strong, right? I mean, they could beat up the referee. Come on, somebody. Like, just break them in half like a twig. They have power, but the officiating crew has something greater than their power. They have authority. The players can knock them down, but the officials can kick them out because they carry this authority. I want you to understand something today. You and I are God's officiating crew in a world of conflict. We're called to be in the conflict, but not of the conflict. We're called to bring, to bring kingdom in the middle of the chaos. Am I in the right, church? We're called to, to, to study a book of, of guidelines, a book of rules, a book of life. We're called to study this book, to know this book in and out because this book guides every decision we make. It, it guides what we say to other people. But if you don't know the officiating book, then how are you going to bring peace in chaos? How are you going to bring kingdom in the middle of chaos? You can't. Why? Because you don't know. You remember the year the, the officials went on strike? That was a messed up year because the backup officials didn't know the book. They couldn't call the right calls. They couldn't judge the right things. They couldn't speak into the right situations because they didn't know. We're called in the middle of a cultural conflict. We're called to the middle of a racial conflict. We're called to the middle of a police and citizen conflict, a Democrat and Republican conflict. We're called to this conflict that we're living in. And we've been given authority. Others may have power, but God's given us what? Authority. I think the greatest crisis we're in as a church is we don't understand the authority we have. 
remember last week we talked about how the, in Matthew 6, it says to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. We talked about what kingdom was. Kingdom is God's will, God's reign, God's purpose on the earth. But what is my righteousness? That's my right standing with God. I can't stand for God if I don't know where I stand with God. You want me to say that a little bit slower? I can't stand for God if I don't know where I stand with God. Because if I'm wavering, then I'm not walking in authority. You seeing it? I said, are you seeing it? Paul said it this way. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Listen to that word, plead. Plead with people. Come back to God. So you need to hear this today. America will not change socially if America doesn't change spiritually. That's like asking a president to change the hurricanes. Is expecting the world to change socially and morally if it never changes spiritually. Because here's the truth, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the heart of a man. W. Ian Thomas made this statement. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. So make sure it is God's trumpet you're blowing. If it's only yours, it won't wake the dead. It will only disturb the neighbors. <laughs> you want me to say that again? W. Ian Thomas, or Ian Thomas, said, make sure it's God's trumpet you're blowing. If it's only yours, it won't wake the dead. It will only disturb the neighbors. Somebody say boom. So, to wrap all this up, how will I vote? How will Cheryl and I vote? How do we decide who to vote for? How do we decide what to vote for? This is what Cheryl and I do. We study what each candidate stands for. If you're getting baptized, you can walk out and change clothes. We study what each candidate stands for. We look at their past voting history. We pray. Can I say that one more time? We pray, and then we vote for the one who best examples God's word. We vote for the one who best examples God's word. Amen? We don't vote for a donkey. We don't vote for an elephant. But we always vote for the lamb. We always vote for the lamb. Amen? I hope that helps you today. I hope it puts you in a position where you feel this sudden urge to give your heart back to God. I hope you leave here today with a different worldview. You belong to a kingdom, not to a nation. A kingdom, not a nation. You belong to a kingdom out of this world it's something you've never seen something the world's never seen the fullness of we belong to a kingdom 
wants to respond to this this morning. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to open your heart. I want you to catch a quick attitude. I want you to catch this attitude. Lord, move in my heart. Lord, my heart is wide open right now. If you walked in here today and you've been consumed with politics and you've been consumed with what's going on in this world and it's overtaking you, listen to me clearly today. There's no condemnation for that. There is a way out of that. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to beat you down. I'm here to lift you up out of that. If that's you today, I want you right now to get brutally honest with God right there where you're sitting. This is between you and him. not been busy with his kingdom if you've been preaching a strange message not the message of Christ not the message of the kingdom you've been you've been preaching another message today's the day to confess and repent now's the moment to confess and repent so God today I come to you as a man who's been pulled a man who's allowed his heart to be by the things of this world. I, God, have preached a different message. I've fallen into the trap. I've been consumed with things I shouldn't be consumed with. I want to make that confession to you today. And in Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of all my unrighteousness realize today, God, that as I was consumed by the things of the world, I was unaware of the things of the kingdom. As I participated in the world, I wasn't participating in the kingdom. I wasn't an ambassador in that moment. Forgive me. Cleanse me. that you've given me in the middle of all this chaos I walk with your authority I want to know your word inside and out I want your word to know me I want to walk in the authority that you've given me I want to do what you've called me to do so with your heads bowed this morning your eyes closed nobody looking around if you find yourself somewhere near that find yourself in that kind of a position or place. Maybe it's been all about you. What you need. What you want. Maybe it's been a long time since you've asked God what he wants you to do. That's you and nobody looking around. I just want to see your response this morning. Just raise your hand. I see you. I see you.
Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?